from the book of Acts. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Did you guys all watch the Blue Angels yesterday? It's pretty killer. I loved it. Um, you know, I've been thinking this past week, in all of Easter season, when we see these different characters that come across our channel to look at an Eastertide and how God converts them, that God has a remarkable sense of humor. I mean, lots of different ways, but certainly in the, the uh, most unusual, crazy, awkward misfits that he calls to be his spokesman. You know, today we would call it our leadership team. If Jesus was working with Booz Allen or something as a consultant, he would fail miserably because this list is rather long and rather, well, not very good, frankly. I'll give you a couple of examples of these unusual misfits. David, Moses, Abraham, Mary, Peter, Doubting Thomas last week. And then this week we look at perhaps the biggest of all, the worst of all in some ways you might say, the, the, uh, this conversion story in the New Testament, this unlikely Christian named Saul, Saulas of Tarsus. And it's the story which, even if you don't know who Saul of Tarsus is, you know the story. We even say this in our popular culture, right? There's all sorts of pop songs that are written about this, but he was knocked off his horse, right? He was blinded by the light, right? We even talk about having a road to Damascus experience where God just rings our bell, something profound which changes our worldview. The event, of course, that I'm talking about is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Saul, who later becomes Paul. He's famous. He's infamous. He's a huge character in the history of the New Testament. He writes most of the New Testament. His conversion leads to the spread of the gospel unlike any other. He is most pro second to Jesus, probably the most important character in Christianity. But let me ask you a question this morning. What about the other guy? What about the other dude in the story, right? A nobody, a guy you've never heard of. A There's not big, thick, thick books written about. A no-name guy from Damascus named Ananias? Who? Yeah, Ananias. Who? Ananias. He's a nobody. But if it hadn't been for Ananias, God's misfit again, the other guy in the story, right? Think about this. This is pure speculation, but stay with me. It's a big idea, right? If it hadn't been for Ananias and his willingness to step into the breach, what if... Paul had never been converted. Western history, the church would have probably been wiped out. Western history would be completely different than it is now. The church, if it even survived, would be radically different. Just saying that for a minute. That God, the creator of the universe, puts such authority into the hands of nobody. It's like Ananias or the Virgin Mary, for example. Lots of examples. So today I want to look at, do a dive on the story of the, con, the road to Damascus, right? The, the conversion on the road to Damascus. But not the conversion of Saul, but the conversion and the faith of Ananias, the other guy in the story. So two points this morning. Uh, I hope you find this helpful. God's fearful call. God's fearful call to Ananias. And then that trust of Ananias that acts. So God's fearful call and the trust in Ananias that then acts. So let's set the stage. Go back 
wheel back a little bit. Saul. We all know about Saul, Paul, same guy. He's a complicated dude, man. He's a complicated guy. He's highly educated. He's a lawyer by training, trained by a guy named Gamaliel, the most important guy who could be trained in the first century. Think of like, I don't know. Well, I won't go there. He's an important guy, right? He was a first century Jewish Kennedy, but in a good way. And his, Saul, his, father, his father named him Saul, which the name Saul means great, powerful. And it's also, incidentally, the name of the first king of the Jews, King Saul, right? So his father had aspirations for this Saul of Tarsus. I mean, imagine if your dad named you, I don't know, George Patton, right? Or Ronald Reagan, or whatever. The point is that Saul was a rock star in first century Jewish culture. We, as Christians, see him from the exact opposite side. We think of Saul, and in fact, Luke describes him as breathing threats, verse 1. We think of Saul of Tarsus. We think of a, uh, you know, a guy with, you know, bedraggled hair and fangs and breathing fire and some sort of barely sane psychopath, some knuckle-dragger from who knows where, from Tarsus. But just realize something before I go into this a little bit more. Not, that image of Saul as this sort of terrorist, nothing could be further from the truth. That's what makes it a little more hard, you see. Saul is a guy that, he's a Jewish celebrity. Saul was a guy, if you're a Jewish dad, you want your son to grow up to be like Saul of Tarsus. He's like Batman without the costume. <laughs> so our reading from Acts this morning, Saul has left Jerusalem, right? And he's driving, he's riding on his horse to Damascus. Now, why is he going to Damascus? Because Jerusalem, the Christians have already been rounded up. Jesus has been crucified. And they go, well, we got to go find where the rest of these rats went, so let's go find them. He's on a mission to round up Christians, these heretics, these non-believers, and bring them to justice. Saul thinks he's doing the right thing. And he goes to Damascus, which is the next town over, like to Emmaus in another story, to round up these folks and bring them back for trial. And so imagine that you are a guy who's in Damascus named Ananias, the second guy in the story. Ananias, who was in Jerusalem and went to Damascus to get out of Dodge, right? A former Jew turned Christian, this Ananias, this guy, the very type of person Saul is after. And here you are, saying your morning prayers. Oh, you're minding your own business, Ananias, this nobody from Damascus. You're in prayer, and you get a vision from God, and God says, Ananias, and Ananias says, he says, I want you to go and find this guy named Saul of Tarsus. Heard of him? Uh, yeah, kind of. That's why I'm here in Damascus and not home. I want you to find him, and I want you to go, and I want you to bring him to me. Ananias, let's just put yourself in context here, right? Ananias, yeah, Lord, I'm listening. I want you to go, and that, you know that guy that you're hiding from that's trying to kill you? Yeah, of course I know who he is. That's why I'm in Damascus and not there. I want you to go, and I want you to, I want you to get him for me. Oh, Okay. Lay our hands on him. Lay your hands on him and he will regain his sight. Well, let me just stop there and just ask, ask you an obvious question. Put yourself in the other guy's shoes. Would you do it? Would you go? Would you go? You know, there's, there's a, a, another a commercial on TV for right now. I think it's a Geico commercial. They've got great commercials, right? Geico does. 
And there's a commercial on TV about, you know, remember back in the 80s and early 90s, we had those, those leadership team building exercises? Remember those? Where you'd like stand there and you'd have to fall back onto somebody, they'd have to catch you, you had to trust they would catch you. You know what I'm talking about? I had to do that once with a boss named Andrew. I didn't like Andrew. He didn't like me either. That's okay, I don't work for him anymore. But I had to do that once with Andrew, this, my, the boss I worked for, this corporate trust exercise. I couldn't stand the guy. And in fact, nobody on the team could stand Andrew. He was a micromanager. He was a climber. And whenever anybody did something right, he took credit for himself. Thanks, man. Anyway, that's another story. But I had to do the fallback exercise with Andrew because he was my boss. And so I did it. What? You've done that, right? It's so corny, but we did it. What can I tell you? At least we didn't get it on video, right? So I did, I leaned back and down I went and to my surprise, Andrew caught me. Probably because people were looking. But he caught me. And I'll tell you, I still didn't like him. I still didn't like him. I still don't like him. But I did learn to trust him. Why? Because he did what he said he would do. And there's a parallel here. Because Ananias was fearful, much fear, more fearful than I was for falling backwards, right? But the key is Ananias trusted God. Let me show you something really cool here. There's a little clue, and you may not have seen it. And it was going, you rip through it, you don't notice it, but it's really important. Hugely important phrase. So God called, it's interesting, if you look back, Jesus calls Saul, Saul, Saul. And Saul says, who are you? Right? What? But then he calls Ananias, and Ananias says, here I am. Did you notice that? Two different things. Same call, same God, two different guys. Who are you? Here I am. That's Ananias. And that's a hugely important phrase. Here I am, Lord. It doesn't mean like, oh, over here, he's God. He knows where you are, right? It's not like you're calling your wife from the other room. Honey, where are you? Here I am. No. God says, Ananias, and he says, here I am. And that's a hugely important Jewish expression. It's an expression of of uh, listening and submission and, listen, a willingness to trust. A couple of examples. You know this in the Old Testament. That with the very same thing where God calls Abraham, Abraham, Abram, Abram, here I am. Moses, Moses, here I am. Samuel, here I am. Right? It's a repeating idea in the Old Testament. Elijah, Isaiah, rather, excuse me, here I am. Point it, Mary, Mother of Jesus, here I am. So the point is, when God calls Ananias, it's key to the whole text. He actually listens to God, and he trusts him, even though he's scared out of his mind. Even though he's fearful. Even though he's fearful, Ananias went to Saul of Tarsus. Listen, because he had learned, Ananias had learned experientially, listen, that Jesus could be trusted. It's a really important point. Ananias went to Saul because Ananias trusted God. You know, there's an interesting little side note here. You've heard this before, probably, if you've been here for any length of time, that the word faith, if, if you said to somebody, what does the word faith mean? People would say, uh, you probably would say belief. I believe in God, right? No. The word faith in the New Testament is the Greek word pestuo, is the root pestis, is the, usually the way it's, it's used. And the word pestis does not mean, the word faith does not mean an intellectual assent to a truth claim. I believe something is true. No. The word pistis, faith, in the New Testament means trust. So every time you come across the idea of faith in God, replace the word faith with the word trust, and now you're on to it. 
That is the biblical view of faith in God. A person who trusts God because we've learned to trust him and because he is trustworthy. Faith is trusting in God, not because you're not scared, but because you are scared, but you've learned to trust him experientially, just like Ananias. So let's stop there and just think about this for a moment. Where are you wrestling with the question in your heart right now? What did you worry about this morning on the way to church today? What did you worry about last night when you couldn't sleep? Or when you're shaving this morning or walking the dog or whatever you're doing, drinking your coffee? What keeps you up at night? What, what do you fear? That's at the root, you know. That's what worry is. Worry is fearing something that hasn't occurred, right? Maybe it's money or family or relationships or health. Probably one of those four. Those are the biggies. I mean, and I'm not diminishing worry. I mean, it's a real thing. We've all got them, including me. I'm not pointing the finger here. We all worry about different things. We all have things we fear in this life. Like I said, a good friend once said to me that worry is fear that has not yet occurred. But what I'm trying, but the point here is that the solution to worry is not, you know, soothing music on your iPhone, right? Or chamomile tea, or whatever it might be. No. The solution to worry to fear is to trust in God, even though you're fearful. Whether it's Ananias of Damascus or you. It's to be reminded that Jesus is trustworthy. He is worthy of our trust. We, he has a plan. We might not know what it is, but he does know, and he's God. <laughs> he's got a huge leg up on you and I. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He knows what he's doing. And even though you and I fear because we can't see, he can. And that's my first point, that sometimes, and I would say even most times, that when God calls us to do something, it is by nature scary, fearful. When God calls us to something, a challenge, fix amended relationships, speak to somebody you don't like, fix your whatever it is, fill in the blank. It's fearful. We're scared of it. But that's where faith is formed. This is my second point. Ananias' faith is faith that, faith that trusts in God. Look at this. Back to the story. Imagine the scene. Imagine the scene. You're Ananias. You go to a street called Straight, to Judas' house, to find Saul of Tarsus, whom you know who he is. And you walk in, and you go to put your hand on his, on his uh, head to, uh, to lay your hands on him like Jesus told you to do. And I wonder if this thought crossed Ananias' mind, because it would cross mine. Well, you know... The dude can't see anything. No one's looking. Maybe I'll solve this problem once and for all. And instead of laying your hands on him, Ananias does a, you know, Sopranos move with a garrote or something or chokes him. Could be. Ananias could have done that. Ananias could have taken matters into his own hands. After all, this bloodthirsty killer, Saul, had probably killed friends of his. He is in Damascus because of this very man. Oh, man, here's my chance. Yes, Saul. Good thing I'm not God. (laughs) But the thing, Saul, Ananias is a man who trusts God and does what God tells him to do, even though he's fearful. This is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. Brother Saul, I love that. Brother Saul, not Saul, you filthy animal. Brother Saul, receive your sight. Brother Saul, Jesus has sent me to you. Receive your sight. 
Literally, he is converted on the spot. He is blind, and now he sees. And don't miss something incredibly profound. <laughs> that Saul, Saul, who was a guy who was trying to do the right thing, had been blinded to who God truly is. The motivation for Saul had been to go to Damascus and wipe out these heretics called the way, Christians. And now for the very first time in God's great irony, Saul now sees for the first time what he thought he'd seen his whole life. The great persecutor of the church becomes now its strongest advocate. Did you notice right after Saul, Ananias lays his hands on him, Saul can see, he baptizes him on the spot, the Holy Spirit comes into him in baptism. He eats some food, Saul does, and then he goes to the synagogue and proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. It's right there. Read it. See, friends, God changes people. He never leaves us where we are. Thank you, Lord. He never leaves us where we are. He's always calling us to see his plan and to see his movement in our lives more clearly. He's always calling us from places of fear to places of victory where we can learn to trust him more and more. And it's not just Saul, and it's not just Ananias. It's the person sitting in your seat. Ananias had learned. This is the key. Ananias had learned experientially that Jesus could be trusted. And the way you learn if someone is, can be trusted is you trust them and you see if they will deliver. Look, real faith, and I don't mean the fake stuff, the real biblical faith, trust, is always, listen, always forged, always grows, always is strengthened in suffering, always. Because the biblical faith overcomes Fear, confronting fear and trusting in Jesus and doing the right thing even though you are fearful, leaning on him to solve the problem that you can't solve. Notice this, that once Ananias does this, Saul, receive your sight, and he does receive his sight. It's not just Saul whose faith is strengthened, it's Ananias' faith who's strengthened. His willingness to obey becomes even stronger. Let me challenge you with this question as I wrap up. Think back in your own life, your own life right now. Where in your own life was your faith made strongest? It wasn't long walks on the beach, and it wasn't playing golf with your buddies. It wasn't uh, watching the Blue Angels, although that is a lot of fun. <laughs> real spirituality, real, real faith, the stuff that actually changes people's lives the stuff that changes your life and mine. Christianity is always, Christian faith is always forged in suffering because it requires us to trust in Jesus alongside other Christians who encourage us, who strengthen us, who walk beside us, like Ananias to Saul. I'm going to give you a, a proverb. It's a famous one, but it's in the context that makes a lot of sense. Proverb 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, right? That can't be comfortable. If, if iron could feel, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, one person sharpens another. So here's my question for you. Where is God calling you? What fear is God calling you to confront right now? What worry in your life is God calling you to trust him and do the right thing? What is it that keeps you awake at night that you know you need to do and you refuse to do it because you're afraid? What is it? Well, here's my challenge. Do it. Amen. 
Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.